No matter if the economy is up or down, healthcare careers continue to grow, especially in management. Stevenson University Online's Master's in Healthcare Management can put your career on a new track, especially for career changers with previous business, HR, or technology backgrounds. Discover new opportunities with our Healthcare Management Master's. No GREs, no application fees, and 100% online. Visit online.stevenson.edu slash healthcare management. Yeah, it's called Conversations with Jeff, not Screaming Matches. Yeah, yeah I, 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 you and I do not agree on Calvinism. But look how nice we are to each other. I think it's going to really shock a lot of people, thrill a lot of people. A lot of people are going to have to do some soul searching. It's like, you know what? What are you doing? You're spending all your time trying to destroy another Christian because you don't understand what's going on mm-hmm. when you should be out there winning people for Jesus. Right. Thank you for the job you're doing. Thanks for being willing to address these kind of issues. They're vital to the church. I feel sorry for what's coming your way, but God bless you, man. It's it's a good, healthy conversation, and, and let's keep growing together in the Lord. People won't change unless they hear the truth, though. And so we need to know the truth, uh, speak the truth. And then the last one I would say is that we need to stay in the truth, uh, no matter what the consequences are. Okay, hey guys, welcome to today's live episode of Conversations with Jeff. Uh, Thank you all so much for tuning in. Uh, This is going to be an interesting uh, conversation and an interesting show. Before we dive into it, just wanted to let you guys uh, know that we are still in pre-orders for a book, uh, Church and State, How the Left Used the Church to Conquer America. Uh, If you guys go to gatekeepersonline.com slash churchandstate, use the code SAM, who's uh, one of the guests today in Conversations with Jeff, you'll get 10% off. And you get a free copy of his ebook, Why I'm Pro Life. So that's definitely something that you should check out. Um, and so we're going to dive right into today's conversation. We've got two guests, actually, which is I don't know if we've actually done this for uh, conversations with Jeff before. Usually it's just a one on one conversation. But I thought with this topic, it would be uh, an interesting uh, conversation to have three different perspectives on it. So uh, before I dive into the topic, uh, let me introduce you guys to our guest today. So we've got Pastor Sam Jones, who you all know from co-host of the Shining Light podcast. Sam, welcome back. Glad we could uh, sit down and, and chat again here for a bit. Yeah, thanks for having me on, Jeff. Uh, you know, I I think I still have the record for most times being on conversation with Jeff. And so I, when you give me that opportunity, I was like, some other people are coming up. They're getting pretty close. And so it's like, I, I better say yes to this. You know? um, but I, I really do think it's going to be a fun conversation today. And i uh, really looking forward to it. So thanks for having me on. Of course, of course. And then and then we've also uh, got a, a new guest here uh, here at a Conversations. Uh, we've got Robert Van Dalen. Robert, welcome to the show and glad we could sit down. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Sam, excited to be here. Um, I'm looking forward to a robust conversation. Um, and hopefully our listeners will be uh, engaged and, and uh, open to what we have to discuss today. 
Yeah, no, a- absolutely. And and so, you know, uh, since since you're the newbie here on the show, uh, why don't, why don't we, I want to give you a chance to just quickly, if you want to give people a little bit of info, like in your background, who you are, that sort of thing. Absolutely. So, um, so I have a bachelor's and master's in accounting. I uh, used that to essentially launch my career. I came over to California where I got an MDiv in a conservative evangelical uh, seminary. Uh, so I got my MDiv. I got a, a master's in philosophy from Talbot, and I'm hoping to um, explore, do my systematic theology, a uh, PhD in systematic theology, especially in doctrine of creation. So these issues are certain uh, how God interacts with creation. It sort of intersects with what we're doing here today. Yeah, that, that that's it's really cool. It's it's been interesting because I've been diving more and more into like creation and all that kind of stuff as well on the show. Because I've had on, uh, like I just uh, had on Dr. Cal Beisner. We've dealt with some you know stuff with that from that perspective. I've had on Hugh Ross, and he takes the old Earth you know creation perspective. So I'm trying to get the different perspectives and dive into it. But it, you know, it's a fascinating, fascinating uh, topic to study. Yeah, it is. Yeah, and so okay, so uh, I'm gonna bring you guys both on the screen now, um, and that worked out because now I'm, you know, for, you two probably can't see, cause, but I'm smack dab right in the middle uh, between the two of you guys. So, um, okay, so the topic today uh, is going to be really about uh, politics. It's gonna be we're gonna be dealing with uh, this 2020 election. Uh, maybe even a little bit more specifically dealing with the presidential election. And I think that the three of us, we all kind of come at this from three, you know, different perspectives uh, looking at this. And so, you know, I'll just I'll just throw this out there. You know, uh, I'm, I'm going uh, very strongly for President Donald Trump in this election. And I, and I feel like from my perspective, uh, you know, I feel like, the, you know, I'm looking at it from uh, I'm voting for the guy that I feel like is most right or closest to being biblical. Um, and so, you know, that, that's going to be different maybe than, than the two of you guys. And so, you know, let's start with Sam. I'm going to put you on the spot here. What's, what's your take and what's your position on, on voting for uh, the president here in the 2020 election? Stop the hacks. Stop the attacks. Stop the attacks and start taking your IT career to the next level. The Masters in Cybersecurity from Stevenson University Online can keep you one step ahead of the criminals and one step ahead of career advancement. Complete your online degree in as little as 18 months with convenient and affordable classes. Stevenson University Online, your partner for professional success. Visit stevenson.edu slash cyberwar. No matter if the economy is up or down, healthcare careers continue to grow, especially in management. Stevenson University Online's Master's in Healthcare Management can put your career on a new track, especially for career changers with previous business, HR, or technology backgrounds. Discover new opportunities with our Healthcare Management Master's. No GREs, no application fees, and 100% online. Visit online.stevenson.edu slash healthcare management. Yeah, uh, just just in general, or specifically just on the president and set. Uh, uh, just to clarify the question. Uh, let, let's be controversial and just go president. Yeah, um, I think that the that the Bible's uh, what God gives it for us for instructions um, with voting and for specifically for leaders more than voting, uh, but it obviously applies then to voting is found in Exodus eighteen twenty one where it says, "Moreover, you shall select from all the people able men such as fear God, men of truth, hating covetousness." And place such over them to be rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, and rulers of tens. And uh, I think that the, the um, this standard uh, 
want somebody being a dog catcher, let alone president of the United States, uh, who doesn't meet these specific qualifications. And um, as it comes to uh, President Donald Trump, though, I do think he's done some uh, terrific things uh, in our nation. I do believe he has some uh, some good principles. I also uh, would disagree with a lot of the stuff that he's done. The thing that I think that he fails uh, most notably uh, in this verse is the fearing God. Um, he's on record for saying that he, he doesn't need to repent. Um, uh, you can go and look at his his lifestyle uh, in, his, in his history. And I know the, the big argument comes we're, we're voting for a president, not a pastor. But this wasn't looking at a pastor in Exodus 1821. It was looking at uh, rulers. And this is um, what Donald Trump is doing. Uh, he is he is ruling or leading, being the executive um, of our of our nation, and specifically, I think um, his take on homosexuality and homosexual marriage is an affront to uh, fearing God. I don't believe that he fears God in that area, and so I think that does disqualify him uh, from getting a, a Christian's vote. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so so now now Robert, what, what what's your take uh, on on this election, and 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 who 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 are you supporting? Yeah, the interesting thing about all of this, if I can just take a, a step back, is because it's interesting how you have so many evangelicals taking so many stands. And I think the reason for that is because it has to be, um, I think I think it is apparent that we have no formal uh, evangelical political theology and we have no evangelical social doctrine, uh, which is very different to what the Catholics have, because you can either be a practicing Catholic and, and, and vote according to those, or you can just be a a non-practicing Catholic and vote against it. But Catholicism has everything uh, recognized in catechisms and social doctrines, etc. So the fact that we're having this just recognizes that evangelical within evangelicalism, you can still be an evangelical um, and still vote a, a myriad of ways just because we don't have something that's codified. So um, the way that I would that I would think through this and my, my starting point is is twofold. The first thing that I want to, it's actually threefold. The first thing is I want to emphasize that Christians are citizens of heaven primarily. And for that reason, I reject nationalism. I reject political idolatry. I, I am a Baptist, so I believe in the separation of church and state. Um, second, um, I believe that the church should keep its prophetic voice in society through the gospel and through the proclamation of, of justice and being advocate for those who are marginalized, those minorities, those who are in, being persecuted, no matter of, of race, creed. Um, it's just who it is, what it is to understand that every human being is made in the image of God. And thirdly, I believe that the church, and this is what we're talking, this is why we all care and we're, we all have different opinions. I think the church should promote the common good. So while I think that giving the gospel and, and promoting justice in the land is absolutely biblical uh, instruction for us, I think we can have um, disagreement on the rest of the issues, on what it means to promote good and promote human flourishing in the land. And that is really, I, I want to give the ability for Christians to vote different parties if you're if you're a socialist or a capitalist if you believe that you know we should have uh, vouchers for charter schools or you know promote public education like those to me are more what what would be the best you know leave that to the conscience of individual christians and what would promote the common good whereas i think that uh things such as proclamation of the gospel and um and and uh, promoting justice in the land are more of uh, biblical categories that we can think through and 
that we should implement. Yeah, and, and I, I feel like with with a lot of these different kind of political divides, and again, because we're all three kind of coming at this from three different perspectives, um, you know, because I, you know, for, for me, I was looking when when President Trump came down the escalator, I, for me, he, he was my candidate. I switched from being a Rand Paul guy to going uh, President Donald Trump. Uh, you know, I, I know, Sam, you, you've been you've been more hesitant, not necessarily, you know, even though you're strongly, strongly conservative, you haven't necessarily been, you know, like a MAGA, a MAGA guy. And then and then for you on the on the on the other side, Robert, you know, you're looking more on on the Democrat side and and Joe Biden. And so, you know, as Christians, we're all looking at this and I think we we all agree we want what's best for America. But I think but I think the end game, though, is that we have disagreements on actually what is best for an, for America. And, and before, I, you know, I kind of turn it back over to you guys as well. I think historically, a lot of times, Democrats or Republicans used to have a similar view on the end game. We just had a different route to get there. And I feel like this, for me at least, it seems like this is the first time uh, in a long time at least where it seems like there's two total different trajectories. You know, one is, one is it seems to be heading more towards uh, you know, bigger government, socialism, things like that. The other one's more towards freedom, liberty, and getting the government out of it. Um, so, you know, so Sam, I want to I want to turn it over to you really quick. So, from your perspective, you know, as a pastor, conservative, all that kind of stuff. Um, for you, what what is the role of the government, and how should we be looking at it from a Christian perspective? In from your from your side of things. Yeah. So. Um... Uh, the role of government, I believe that God instituted government in Genesis chapter 9, verse 6, uh, where he goes and actually gives um, the—basically says if, if uh, man sheds man's blood by man, his blood shall be shed. So he gives the proclamation for capital punishment, uh, and that was, I believe, the institution of civil government. Uh, there before that, we didn't see that institution uh, before. We had family government, uh, but we didn't have civil government. One of those ways I think it, uh, we saw that play out was that when Cain killed Abel— um, he didn't go and he, he wasn't told to be killed at that time uh, to be put down to have capital punishment put against him. And that comes back to the fact that there was only family government at that time. It was very much a everyone did what was right in their own eyes. Uh, it was an, uh, an anarchy, so to say, uh, type of society before that. And then God, uh, government, and we see is that all the people come together and start building uh, the Tower of Babylon. So we can see the great power and strength of the civil government. Uh, as it can unite people under one banner uh, to go and to accomplish uh, great feats. And uh, God designed the civil government, of course, not to go against any um, of the other governments that we have, you know, whether it's ecclesiastical, which, of course, you didn't have ecclesiastical government in Genesis 9-6 either, as the church wasn't established, and uh, also um, family government and uh, self-government or self-discipline. Um, but all these things work together, and specifically the main categories of civil government are to protect the innocent and to punish the wicked. Uh, and we can see that uh, confirmed in the New Testament also in Romans 13, verses 1 through 5, where um, it's going and giving the uh, prescription as to what a government should look like, and it's uh, bearing the sword not in vain, so bearing it righteously, bearing it justly, uh, and being actually God's ministers. That word God's, their ministers there is the same word that's used for deacon. I mean, uh, so it's it's something that God cares about quite a bit, uh, the civil government, um, but it is that they are to, to act righteously by bearing that sword uh, in a proper way uh, with justice. Uh, but the question I think that it comes down to, or I think we're probably going to see the biggest divide, 
uh, is is how do we define justice? Uh, but but I don't want to get too far ahead of myself in the conversation, I guess. Um, but I think the main purpose of civil government is to defend the innocent or protect the innocent and to punish the wicked. Yeah, yeah. And, and, and then Robert, Robert, from your perspective, uh, look, looking at the role of the government, because I know you were talking about like human flourishing and the common good and, and things like that. Um, for, for it's it, you know, I feel like with with Sam, he's more looking at it, you know, the government being, you know, uh, you know, in, essentially incur- encouraging good behavior, discouraging bad behavior, enforcing actual justice. Um, and then but then it's it's more of a limited government kind of perspective from your from your end of things. What do you feel like the the role of the government um, actually is? Paralegals are highly essential from law firms and courtrooms to insurance, real estate, HR, and more. If a paralegal career or law school is in your future, Stevenson University Online's Bachelor's in Legal Studies will help you achieve your goals affordably with no application fee. 100% online, approved by the American Bar Association with new online sessions starting every eight weeks. Get started today. Visit stevenson.edu slash paralegal. On Florida's Space Coast, we think you can have the best of both worlds. Kind of like right now. Driving, at your desk, maybe at the gym, but you're also grooving to some music. Visit us and you'll go to the beach and see a rocket launch. Or go kayaking and manatee spotting. It's all waiting for you on the only beach that doubles as a launch pad. Plan your adventure today at visitspacecoast.com. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Yeah, to be, to be quite honest, um, I believe that, that throughout history there have been many different types of governments, and Christians have always believed that their form of government was the correct one. So you have Eusebius in the early church who had an almost idolatrous view of Constantine as this is the guy who's going to save Christianity, right? You have, you have um, Augustine with his city of God who basically sees this, this heavenly kingdom, earthly kingdom dichotomy. You have the, you have the magisterial reformers, the, the, they're called magisterial reformers because they used the state at that time to essentially launch the Reformation. You have the Genevan government with Calvin, the, the, the German princes with Luther, etc. Um, you have, uh, obviously, in this country, we believe that capitalism and limited government, at least conservative evangelicals do, is, is the right form of government and the most biblical one. In Europe, you can you have Christians who believe that a, a big government and a socialistic form of economy is, is actually a biblical one. And in China, you have you have Christians who believe that communism is actually the biblical form of not only a, a political theology but an economic one. Um, so what I'm saying here is that uh, government in itself has changed. In fact, in uh, the seven, 16th and 17th century, a lot of the proponents of um, monarchism in the Netherlands were essentially uh, Dutch Calvinists 
you know, and, and they believed that God's will was predetermined and was, and that monarchy was actually the best form of government. So um, I transcend this whole discussion on government to say that there isn't one form of government that is biblical. There isn't one form of economics that is biblical. I think what is important for Christians is to uh, promote the common good. And I do believe that democracy and that capitalism are the best forms of, of uh, government and uh, economic uh, economic policy. But I'm, I'm not going to say that the Bible uh, chooses one kind of government over the other um, as long as, as, you know, and I'm not disagreeing with, with Sam. I think that government has some uh, responsibilities here, but I think it can, the expense of it can be myriad. I think the execution of it, it's as long as it promotes the common good, um, all government is, in a sense, uh, given to us by God for for our good. Even even when it, it and Paul's writing that while you have a very tyrannical Roman Empire. Right, that we would say this is this is not good. The 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 morality of the Caesars was terrible. They were they were involved in emperor worship. They were pagans. They uh, they were uh, obstructing justice. Um, and I guess what I'm trying to say is that the Bible doesn't give a, a clear, distinct uh, political theology. Um, all it gives is um, our responsibility within whatever government we are in. Yeah. Now, now, now I, I want to ask a clarifying question. Okay. So, so because yeah. you talk, you, you've talked about the common good a few times, and, and I know, and I know we we hear this this phrasing a lot. But what do you what do you mean by that more specifically? I mean, I think those are matters of conscience, right? And I think it's it's what you talked about in your introduction, Jeff. It's about, um, you know, wanting what's best for America. And I would like my kids to grow up in a prosperous country where they're safe, where they can get jobs, where they're free to preach the gospel, uh, assuming that the Lord finds it well to save them. Um, so that's, that's what I want. I want good for my neighbor, right? It's, it's literally... Put, politics within a Christian sphere is how am I loving my neighbor, right? Um, and I want their good, right? Not just for my own family, but even my neighbors. What what would do them good? Um, just overarchingly. Answering that question is what is in essence what politics is. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, and, and I think too, I think I think dealing with the common good, I think that that, that begins, especially when we get into politics, this is where in, in either one of you guys can kind of jump in on this. But I feel like when you start talking about the common good, in the political sphere, it begins to uh, bring about different things like, uh, you know, differences in in wealth distribution, in, you know, you know, even dealing with a lot of the racial issues we've been seeing with like Black Lives Matter and a lot of those things that tend to be a lot more divisive. Because I think we would all agree we want we want the common good. Wait, sorry, you there? Oh, did we lose you? Oh, oh, sorry. Uh, but 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 I th but I think we I think we all agree we want the common good in the sense of we want what's best. But at the same time, I think we have to get down into what is actually best 
in dealing with um with with like the end goal and that's where i'm not entirely sure this this is probably where we're going to get into some some of the disagreement i'd say sam sam what, what are your thoughts well first of all just to kind of play off of uh, the definition of the common good there and, and how politics comes into it. I mean, politics uh, literally means the affairs of the people. And so uh, that is exactly what politics is, is looking at um, not just ourselves, of course, but also uh, our neighbors and going and looking at that. But I think the scriptures uh, clear that righteousness exalts a nation and sin is a reproach to any people, uh, which is is an interesting, uh, interesting idea there because um, of course, when we look at the United States, uh, we do have uh, sin in our nation. I don't think that there's in, in quite a bit of sin uh, in our nation. Um, I, I don't think anybody's going to disagree with that uh, at, this, uh, at this juncture. Um, but the question comes then, uh, what, what is righteousness? And of course, we need to vote um, as, as righteously as possible, and we need to go into uh, promote the righteous um, principles as much as possible. And so the question I think that that it really comes down to and kind of looking at at all this uh, is how do we define righteousness? And I think that uh, as Christians, especially evangelical, the, the typical answer that we would look at um, is, of course, letting God's Word define that. And uh, specifically, I would say Christianity has defined that um, in the, the broadest, most simple term um, within the moral law, which is what Jesus is referring to when he says, love the Lord your God. Uh, and love your neighbor as yourself. But that moral law is summed up within the Ten Commandments, spe- specifically um, the second half of them, the last six, is what we think about. Uh, and so uh, when it comes down to it, um, specifically in the two political parties right now that are that are major, and, and granted, like I said here, I'm, I'm going to be voting third party, uh, most likely, unless uh, Donald Trump repents, which I, I pray that he does. Um, but I would say when looking at the, the two uh, platforms specifically, um, one platform uh, promotes a, a nuclear Christian family uh, and a, a, a Christian uh, sexual ethic. Um, I would say that uh, the other one um, doesn't. Um, one, I would say, promotes um, life, uh, specifically within the idea of the, the right to live, uh, for the innocent to live, which is thou shalt not murder, um, there, and the other one doesn't promote that. And so uh, those are probably the two biggest issues uh, with that. I, I think also, uh, we could look at uh, um, within the dif- different uh, economic structures. And I know, Robert, you said that you uh, you believe in capitalism, so this might not necessarily apply. But I would say that uh, going and looking at the, the Democrat platform compared to the Republican platform, the Democrat platform is much more into wealth redistribution, which is really a, a fancy way of taking from someone and giving to someone else, which is the definition of theft. Uh, and so I think that violates also the thou shalt not steal. Uh, and, uh, I mean, we could go into, I think thou shalt not covet. I think you could throw that on both sides. I understand there's, there's, uh, a lot of times on the Republican side, uh, croning capitalism. Uh, and of course I don't think any of us would go and necessarily uh, promote that. I, I think I can speak safely that, uh, none of us are on that side. Um, as all three, I think of us would claim to be capitalists, but not crony capitalists. Um, but there is of course that problem with coveting. Uh, also, I think that's, that's fair to, would be fair to point out on both sides. Um, but I do think in looking at that, the big question is, is how are we defining righteousness? How are we defining good? How are we defining justice? Uh, and I think that we have to define that through the moral law. Uh, otherwise, it becomes uh, subjective, and it's not really um, truth then at that point. Yeah. Yeah. Now, 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 now Robert, what, 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 what attracted you to, uh, to the idea of 
of casting casting your vote for Biden and and the and the Democrat platform even because I think that 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 tends to be I think one of the biggest concerns is from a lot of evangelicals is a vote for Biden is a vote is a vote for the platform which includes things like racial reparations and abortion and homosexuality and things like that so so from your perspective as a Christian what attracted you to that side <laughs> That's a that's a loaded question. Um, so uh, sorry, I lost you there for a second. I had some problems with my with my audio. I'm sure you recognized it. Um, I'm glad that we're sort of getting down the road, um, and I think I've set some parameters on this. And I'm I'm glad that there's a lot of uh, things in common between us. When I when I now think of the common good, which is I I'm. I'm not sure if if it's complete, you know, it, it, it is it is defined by the moral law, but I don't think it's only there because I think unbelievers can also tell you, hey, this is this is flourishing, this is not. There are some Kantian, Thomistic, uh, different versions of what the good is. And I, I I don't have a view of total depravity where truth is only found in scripture. Um so, so I'll, I'll say that where the good is far more than than what scripture you you can still have a moral law even even one that isn't uh, that is God's truth but isn't defined in scripture and with some of the points that you have raised I mean wealth redistribution let's just leave it at that I read a news article where 59 of the richest American are you know have more wealth than the lower 50 percent of America. Talking about wealth redistribution, I mean, that's example number one. Um, when I think about uh, abortion, I'm devastated by it. But it just, the, I think it's important to know that the Republican Party is not pro-life in that they've had super majorities in the Senate, particularly during Oh, I think I think I think we lost his we lost his audio. I think. Um, let, here, let me. Um, I, and, and the thing is, I I don't think I don't think he realizes. Um, so, yeah. <laughs> so okay. So I'm let's. Pretty sure he doesn't. <laughs> yeah, I'm, pr I'm, pr I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure he doesn't. So let's let's see let's see if he can come back. I'm going to uh, try to message him um, on. Oh, uh, did we get uh, it? Am I back? Yeah, you're back. Yeah, you're back now. It's, so it's the AirPods. It's all good. So Rand Paul had a had a you know a, an article there where he was with R Mitch McConnell and he was going to be able to put the funding of, on Planned Parenthood on the omnibus spending bill and um, basically it said no, don't do that. So the fact is is that, is that Republicans have been using the pro life issue for a long time to corral evangelical white evangelical votes and nothing has happened. And yes, we have Donald Trump who is um, who now promises to defund Planned Parenthood, but that was a promise he made in 2016. And the fact of the matter is, is that if I have a political party that has been in power for many, many years, over decades, even control of all three, all, you know, the bicameral Congress, as well as the executive branch, and still hasn't defunded Planned Parenthood, I have to go to other issues. I have to, I have to look at, at all the other platforms. And when I look at the Republic, it's, it's one thing to, uh, regarding all these these issues of justice, 
It's one thing to recognize it, but have the wrong approach. And I think because we're sinners, and especially uh, democratic uh, responses to to racism have actually raised even more issues themselves because they are they are heart issues. But uh, uh, recognizing these structural issues in America is the first step. Whereas when I read the 2020 RNC platform, you know. Um, which was just a re it was a condensement of the 2016. I mean, if you really want to put uh, your your foot down and recognize how much you're for, you know, you want to you want to stand for God, then then at least put together a 2020 platform. I thought I thought it was a, a big mistake to do that. But if you're going to do that, at least at least adopt this. Instead, they went to and and the way that Republicans just talk about it is that there's not really the systemic issues. It's just all about giving opportunities. And I just think um, that this is not, if, if you can't even recognize the issues, the fact that there is systemic racism and inequality, wealth inequality, and you're thinking that, you know what, these 59 Americans that own more than 50% of Americans, that they have earned that money and that it would be stealing to take it away from them. I think that a large part of their wealth was already wealth distribution from the government, from from Americans over to this concentration of wealth. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. The HIV epidemic is not over. HIV is still here. The face of HIV is so diverse. The biggest thing to reduce HIV stigma is just to talk about it. Testing and PrEP and HIV treatment and how effective it is today. Undetectable equals untransmittable. Whether you're positive or negative, there's not a wrong door. Whether it's testing or whether it's treatment, do it for you, Montgomery County. Learn more about HIV testing, treatment, and prevention at doitforyoumc.org. Yeah, well, yeah, it, you know, th- I, th- I think when you're when you're dealing with wealth uh, redistribution and it, it, the fascinating thing with this, and you know, especially when you're dealing with income inequality, which uh, actually uh, Sam and I, you know, we're both uh, contributing authors of a, of a book we put out earlier this year called Social Injustice, and my chapter was actually on income inequality. Um, yeah. And and what was what was fascinating about that was that. Uh, back in the uh, early 2000s, uh, Donald Trump wrote a book with uh, Robert Kiyosaki called Why We Want You to Be Rich. And, and the whole premise of the book was predicting that the, that, the, uh, that the income gap, essentially, the wealth gap between the, the, the wealthy and the poor are just going to continue to expand. And I made the argument that as conservatives, we need to acknowledge that there is income inequality, that there is, that there is extreme wealth and extreme poverty. But I think that the, the difference, I think, between our approaches or the difference between the Democrat 
you know, platform approach versus, let's say, the conservative side is is that what we see is is we see that gap widening the bigger government gets, the more involved it gets in the economy. Um, and that's why uh, President Trump back in like 2005, 2006, whenever it was, he wrote that book, predicted it and said, if you if you don't want to be poor, you either you need to get rich now uh, so that way yeah. you can that way you can avoid that kind of a thing. Um, but but the, I think the thing is, is that when what we're looking at is the Democrat platform is is actually being enacted out here in, you know, California, where, where I live. I'm not I'm not sure where you are, but I'm out here, I'm out here in California. California. Yeah. High taxes, it, you know. I, you know, and I oftentimes say half, half jokingly, it's communist California. It is, it is a socialized place because we have the extreme. It's almost a third world country. It's, it's extreme wealth, and then extreme poverty, and the middle class is getting pushed out. Whereas when you see more conservative states with the idea of like limited government and things like that, you see almost not a whole lot of extreme wealth or extreme poverty you see almost exclusively a middle class and so then the interesting thing i think from my perspective looking at this is 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 the is the democrat platform the solution to income inequality or is it the conservative side and, and you know so, so what what's your kind of response to to looking at it from that perspective yeah, so I, I think I think we agree on it a lot, except for the the California part. I mean, there's a reason people live here, and it's for the weather. Um, and it, it's not like California is is just being oppressed by the government. If California were to be its own country, it would be the fifth largest economy in the world, right? Um, it would it would have surpassed Great Britain. I mean, the economy out here is unbelievable, and there is a robust middle class. And like with any other state, you're going you're going to have problems, but. Um, what you're seeing is um, the fact that you don't have, uh, just to be frank, uh, just stepping away from this, you don't have uh, a dynamic political process. And I think the problems of California have more to do with a monopoly on the on the whole political um, spectrum, the fact that it's all governed by one political party, rather than anything else. I don't believe that it's a third world country. If so, it's a very rich, rich third world country. I do believe that house prices are uh, through the roof, um, largely because of supply and environmental policies. But but again, it's 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 more along those lines rather than, I, I, I just don't think that it's a third world country. Yeah, well, yeah, that, that, that's, why, that's what I was saying. It's like half, half jokingly, uh, but but yeah. but it, but it's but it's still that idea of you ha you have you have the you have the wealth you have extreme wealth like like you could be in Beverly Hills and you've got multi multi millionaires and then you, you drive three blocks down the road and you see the most the most uh, insane poverty that that literally rivals a lot of third world countries um, and, and I think and I think that that for me is more the point like when you're driving through LA you're driving through different parts San Francisco even it's you have extreme wealth you have extreme poverty not as much of a middle class as you would have in let's say Iowa where Sam lives yeah well and so, so one thing that's that's kind of interesting here to look at um, I think about this too and we, I think we need to keep this in perspective especially when we're talking about the context of the United States um, I, I just looked it up really quick, and so as long as I'm reading these these statistics right, so correct me if I'm not. Um, but the the average, or excuse me, the median um, household income in the world 
is uh, ten thousand or is just under ten thousand dollars, nine thousand seven hundred. The median uh, household income in the United States is just under seventy thousand, and the poverty threshold is actually above the median um, uh, household income within the world. It's it's about twelve thousand dollars, or for a family of four, it was I think twenty four thousand dollars. Let me uh, double check that there. Uh, twenty six thousand dollars in the United States. So when we, we look at this, especially with uh, the idea of looking at the wealth within the United States, um, being majority in one, uh, one area or one group, and then going and looking and saying, well, all these other people are, are super poor within the United States, that's actually not true to the context of the world. Uh, and going and looking that they're actually above average uh, when it comes to the context of the world uh, in comparison. Um, and so when we go and we look at that, I don't necessarily know that it's, um, I wouldn't say that I wouldn't necessarily know, but I, I don't think that, uh, that it's, uh, uncompassionate, uh, to go into say, uh, that people who have, uh, who have money, uh, and have earned money in the United States, because on, on average, that's almost everyone in the United States. Um, it's, uh, in comparison to the rest of the world. Uh, that they've they've gained it the wrong way or, or have it wrongfully uh, when you go and we look at this in the perspective of the of the entire world um, with that we're we're then going and saying that redistributing that wealth uh, the other way we're, we're talking about still um, somebody who I'm, I'm definitely a lot closer to uh, to you know the, the United States poverty line than I would be uh, in the top four percent or something like that uh, but I mean we have it a lot nicer here than what people do across the the world yeah in the in the again I'm, I'm just i'm just trying to defend california a lot of this also has to do with um going to where the jobs are um uh, you know the houses that are worth more it's because of uh, and you know that you go more towards the coast it's more expensive you can you uh, and i don't know where in california you are but you can, if you go into the central valley let's just say you can find a, a you know home prices that are comparable to anywhere else in the country and it's and it's california right it's just you know not a lot of people want to live in that in the central valley so it, it really i mean it, it just depends right um but I think in the in the big thing of all of this, when I look at the the democratic platform, I'm appalled by by um, just this 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 uh, you know repulsion towards the pro-life cause and the pro-life I mean anti-abortion. But when I look at the Demo the Republican 2016 uh, platform, I'm also repulsed by the fact that um, it seems like the the fix to a lot of problems, according to the, the Republican Party, is jobs, right? Where Trump says that he um, he's the best president since Lincoln because he's given more jobs to African-Americans. Um, and I think that's a mentality that Christians have to be careful of for this reason. Um, we are more than economic units. And trying to fix these deeply moral issues through economic means feeds into this whole cycle, right? So people are leaving California, just to use this um, loosely, people are leaving California because it's squeezing up the middle class. And, the, and that means they're breaking up their communities. They're leaving their churches. They're leaving where they grew up to go somewhere else. In other words, this cycle of capitalism is breaking off human relationships church relationships accountability groups because they just can't afford to live there right i mean let's just call it what it is and that's a fun that's where capitalism is leaving behind the local community i think as christians 
we need to push back against saying that, you know, these free market forces have to break up the communities that we're in. And that's why it's it's not just to 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 fix these deep seated issues. It's not just about providing jobs. It's about confronting them and as a government trying to do their best to fix these. But as evangelicals confronting those as sin and applying the gospel to them. And I think the very first step is recognizing that these are even issues. And when I read through that RNC platform, I just I, I get the feeling that that they don't really see this as, as deep issues. Well, I, I, I agree uh, that it, that, of course, we're more than economic uh, economic beings. Um, now, I think the question is, is, is when it comes to specifically economics, uh, how do we fix that? And one, I, I think that the Democrat platform, it, it brings forth that we fix this through regulation and, and government intervention, whereas in the Republican platform, not always in the case. Sometimes we get in the way agriculturally. I, I understand that all too well being in Iowa. We, we, we've got a lot of uh, statist uh, things in our, our platform uh, as on a platform committee uh, th- this last year and going like, uh, I don't know about this agricultural thing but um, th- and things like that. But I'm not saying it's perfect. Um, but I mean, we, uh, you know, we've all probably been to, uh, uh, to go get our license before, you know, the government doesn't tend to do things very, uh, efficiently, uh, whereas in the private sector, um, generally does it more efficiently, uh, and, and does it better. And so in the economic, uh, side of it, and I think specifically looking at California, people leaving, um, it's definitely not because they're, uh, the private sector is empowered. It's because of the public sector is, uh, overshadowing. Um, but but also to the idea of saying that uh, that in the Republican platform that it goes and gives this this idea that we're only economic creatures um, on on page 31 uh, under the section of marriage and the family and society it says foremost among those institutions is the American family uh, it is the foundation of civil society and the cornerstone of the family is natural marriage the union of one man and one woman um, I mean that that doesn't sound like it's it's viewing us only as an economic being although. There are a lot. I mean, I'm I'm very involved in the uh, in Republican um, uh, politics. There are those who are just fiscal conservatives, and I, I think that that is a problem within the Republican Party. Uh, undoubtedly, when we only look at things in an economic side, um, I think that's a disqualification also from Exodus 18:21, what I mentioned before, uh, because it talks about uh, basically the idea of not being a lover of money. Uh, in that sense, uh, we should love God more. Um, but I don't think that's necessarily the, the stated premise, uh, of the, the platform. Now, I think there's a pretty proper critique to be made that maybe the Republican party doesn't follow its uh, platform nearly as well as it should. Uh, but on the other side, I would say that the Democrat, uh, party, um, seems to be much more, um, w- would go and, and present the idea of, instead of the family being the cornerstone of society, uh, more of going and saying that a community specifically, uh, maybe because I think there is some semblance of federalism there still, uh, maybe more the, the city governments or uh, state governments, uh, and of course then ultimately under the big umbrella of national government as the cornerstone of society. They're, they're a lot more uh, statist uh, in going and looking uh, towards that. Would, would you agree with that, that the Democrat Party is more statist, whereas in the Republican Party platform is much more uh, decentralized? Me? Um <laughs> I, I, again, I, I get that this is like a, a talking point for conservatives, 
but when I when I read the DNC, yes, they're not they, they don't say these words. And, you know, the uh, cornerstone of, of American society is the nuclear family. Right. They don't, they don't say that. But um, but I don't get the sense that they're after families. You know, I get the sense just like the Republicans, they're subject to powerful lobbyist forces. And sometimes those lobbyist forces, you know, with charter schools and different things like that, uh, it's not necessarily pro-family, but I just don't think they're going after families. I, I don't get that sense at all. Well, I, I aren't they going for more of the destruction of the family and, and going and looking at um, uh, abortion and LGBTQ rights and, and uh, things like that? I mean, that's that's not the nuclear family, according to the Bible. No, I understand. But I would think that part of loving my neighbor is supporting LGBTQ uh, causes, including not uh, uh, protecting that community from being fired just because they choose to practice that lifestyle, right? Just because they're pro-LGBTQ, just because we have same-sex marriage, it hasn't necessarily resulted in the breakdown of the family, right? Well, I I would agree in the sense that perhaps that uh, definitely the breakdown of the family was occurring before that. Um, Within our society, uh, but I mean, uh, undoubtedly, LGBTQ uh, marriage or gay marriage um, contributed uh, to contributes to that. And I mean, when we look at the idea of loving our neighbor. Um, of course, w- when we look at this, uh, it says in Genesis one twenty seven, God created them uh, male and female. And, and and as you mentioned before, not all truth necessarily is is revealed and uh, revealed solely through Scripture. Um, I mean, that's that's also in, in uh, natural law is uh, in accordance with that. Right. And we do see about uh, double the rate uh, of like LGBTQ youth um, in attempted suicide, which is uh, absolutely a tragedy. I don't think anybody wants to see that. Um, but wouldn't it make more sense to go and look at, well, God says this and they're going against the design that God says. So therefore, there are ill consequences that come from that. So therefore, to fix those ill consequences would be to restructure the design and to get the design proper. Well, I, I mean, I echo Scalia's dissent in this, um, in that uh, I think that uh, putting forth same-sex marriages, I mean, I there is there is no legal precedent to it. I don't agree with it. And where do you draw the line, right? I mean, I'm a, I'm a natural law theorist myself. Where do you draw the line? And I think that's a huge problem. But I think there's also a con- uh, there's there's two concerns that I have. The first concern is has has this really undermined marriage? Um, has this really undermined the family? I mean, in a sense, we are to be a, a a kingdom within a kingdom. We are to be citizens of heaven. It doesn't really matter. I mean, the Romans were the Romans were doing far worse and and we're modeling far worse and the church thrived you know the the biggest problem of marriage in the early church was not related to the cultural norms they were more related to neoplatonist ideals where you know we you know where virginity and and chastity were were you know so uplifted that people thought it was better not to be married there were even instances of people who got married and never consummated the marriage and that was seen as holy right so i i i definitely don't think that the way that a society goes per se is uh, in terms of marriage will you know you know, should define how Christians view marriage and how they um, how, how they see marriage and all of that. But from a yeah, I mean, I absolutely think that uh, 
a society's view of marriage is uh, definitely important. And I agree with you. I mean, Anthony Scalia's dissent sense at all. Where do we stop? Right. But I am concerned about the fact that Republicans have no concern over LGBTQ uh, youths who commit suicide. They have no concern over workplace con- protections for LGBTQ. And I guess what I'm trying to to what I'm encouraged by, and I'll say this, is the Republican Party moving forward, right? With Marco Rubio and other Republicans basically coming out in defense of trade union and the working class, seeing that just having a you know a singular concern for um, for businesses is not really the best thing for the common good, and it's not really great for the party platform and the in the long longevity of the party. So I, I am go- I'm seeing that in 2024, you're going to see a much different Republican Party, a, pub- a Republican Party that does reject Trumpism. And what I mean by that is is by uh, rejecting this sort of demagoguery where, you know, it's it's just, you know, you know, appealing, you know, when something doesn't agree with you, just calling it fake news um, and, and engages more to the real issues that I'm, I think American Americans want to hear. So I'm, I'm definitely looking forward to, and I'm not, it's not that I'm, you know, a democratic strategist here. Um, I would align more with conservative, um, politically. So I would align much more with you guys. What I can't do is, um, and I guess, you know, it's, uh, I, I don't know how much time we have left Jeff, but I guess, um, I don't see a third party vote as being viable personally. I, I just don't see it. I, I think, according to George Will, we live in a two-party system, and that, that that gives us some flexibility and some ease of options instead of researching what each third party believes. Um, so I, I personally, and I respect those, you, Sam, who's going to vote third party, I respect you. Um, and I my Biden vote was more about a rebuke of Trump than necessarily an endorsement of the party, even though I believe that the DNC uh, platform is far more biblical because of its holistic approach to the pro-life issues. We have to care more about people, not just when they're born, but throughout the end of their lives. And I think that's, that's immensely important. I agree, abortion is murder. And uh, I've been a single issues voter for a long time. This is the first election, really, where I'm just I'm, I'm tired of being played by the Republican Party. They, they've they've really done very little to curtail abortion. Every single one of their laws have been stricken by the Supreme Court, um, by by conserv even even justices appointed by conservatives, and. Um, I'm going with much broader issues in this election. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. 
This holiday season, pay tribute to the people who fought for our freedom to celebrate. Featuring the largest American flag in the region, Spirit Park is now open at National Harbor, honoring active duty military and veterans. Take some time this holiday to remember, offer gratitude, and be inspired by the sacrifices of our service men and women who make our way of life possible. Plan your visit at nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. That's nationalharbor.com slash spiritpark. Yeah, well, I, so, and, I, and I'll and I'll just say the same, and then and then you and then you can jump in really quick. Yes. But but what's interesting to me is is you were citing the the issues of like LGBT and how Republicans don't really care. It seems like about you know whether they're getting fired or committing suicide or things like that. But to be fair, what's interesting is that Trump has kind of bucked that, and he's really been one of the most pro LGBT. Um, you know, presidents that we've had. I mean, you know, you look at, you know, he's, you know, he's, he's had one of, he's, uh, I think it was uh, R- Richard Grinnell is, has the highest position that I think anybody's ever had uh, that, that is gay. Uh, you know, Trump, you know, you know, he's, you know, I, when, well, when I was in DC, I had, uh, I had lunch with a guy who was the Trump LGBTQ spokesperson. I mean, gr- nice guy and, and all that, but they, they were very specific about outreach to the LGBTQ community. And they were, and you know, they were, they're probably the most open to the LGBTQ community out of any Republican president ever. So it's interesting that, that that's the line that, that you're talking about. Um, but yet it's, it's the president that's most open to that compared to previous ones, if that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. Okay. Yeah. Um, so, so, so just one real quick about voting third party, just just to make a defense, and I, and I understand uh, you weren't necessarily attacking that. Um, uh, basically, what's the theory that's that's put forth is called the law of Duverchet, uh, which essentially comes and says, you know, if there's there's two parties are going to emerge, and it's going to be one of the the two parties. And the frustration that you're bringing up, Robert, uh, with the Republican Party, it sounds like you're a former Republican and now kind of abandoning that because you got sick and tired of them giving promises and not. And not fulfilling those promises, and I, I totally understand that. Um, what I would say is, uh, when basically a political party is like a child, and so if we keep rewarding them with our vote, what's going to happen is that they are going to be, uh, no matter what they do, is that they're going to continue to push the boundaries further and further and further uh, in the wrong direction, give lip service to what you want, and then abandon you and stab you in the back. That's the same concern I have with the Republican Party uh, in several uh, cases, and that's why uh, why I would say I hold to the Exodus 1821 standard of saying, look, if they're not going to um, fulfill these things, then I'm not going to go and vote for them. Um, and that's why I would go and vote third party in this kind of uh, kind of an election of saying, like, hey, I want somebody who represents my values better. Um, but I, I do want to ask you a question, Robert. Where is it that you disagree with uh, with President Trump? Because as, as Jeff pointed out, uh, he is the most, not just the most pro-gay uh, president, um, Republican, but actually he's the, the first president to run pro-gay marriage uh, uh, there and pro-gay rights uh, in, in the first term. Um, well, it, the, reason, the reason I gave that is because you, you brought it up. Okay, uh, sure. I, you know, <laughs> that's, that's the reason. But environmental policy, taxation. Um, I believe that 21% corporate tax rate is way too low. And it's one of the reasons, you know, uh, it encouraged stock buybacks and an overvaluation of the stock instead of actually uh, spurring growth. 
in a meaningful long-term way. Um, so environmental policy unions, um, man, uh, sorry, it's uh, um, economic, COVID-19, healthcare, immigration would be a big one. Um, so those would, I mean, those are substantive issues. I, it, it offends me that um, he essentially got his startup, you know, his, his claim to fame by uh, denigrating the, uh, the immigrants from Mexico that were coming over um, in such grotesque language. It, 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 it is offensive that he got COVID-19 and then goes out and says, um, it was no big deal when I know a handful of people that have died from it. Um, so um, those, those, there, there are substantive issues. And I mean, I don't know how much more time we have left, but I could, I could go, dive deeply into each of those issues, not just for President Trump, but also for the Republican platform. Yeah. Now, just, just, you know, there's no time limit. I'm not saying we're going to go two, two, three hours, whatever <laughs> it is, but I have been known to go three hours in a podcast. I'm not, but I'm not, I'm not recommending it, but, <laughs> but, but I'm, but I'm curious, uh, you know, I, cause I, I'd be interested to kind of dive into this immigration issue. Because uh, because I, I feel like that's one that's one of the things where I feel like people oftentimes are talking past each other uh, in in because of the definitions, because of the context of things that were said by by both sides. It's Republicans will accuse Democrats of saying things that are over the top. Republicans will accuse or Democrats will accuse even Trump about saying things that are that are over the top. And I think a lot of times this debate oftentimes comes down to rhetoric. As opposed to the actual, you know, issue. So, so I'm interested from your perspective, Robert. What's your concern with, you know, we can go Republican or we can go Trump with with their view of immigration? Oh, there's so much there. Um, so the biggest thing is this whole concept of doing immigration, and I'm, I'll, I'll talk. I mean, if you want to go from a, a of economic policy and all that we we can do that but i just want to let's keep it evangelical right so um two things number one creating uh an economic test to whether an immigrant is going to be allowed into the u.s uh minimizes the worth and humanity of a, of a human being into again going back to what sam and i were talking about as an economic unit so our central question was not, let's, let's bring you in. You are the stranger. You are the sojourner. Uh, El Salvador, your, your land is being ravaged by gangs. Uh, Mexico, you're, you're, you know, you're, you can't find enough to eat or you're, you know, and, and you're coming over here, right, um, with nothing, quite literally. Um, the Republic, you know, this, this, this um, you know, seeing them as economic unit basically says you can only come in if you have something to contribute. And I just don't think that's the, the Christian ethic here. The Christian ethic does not, does not have, what can you contribute to society? The Christian ethic says, let me share what I have with you because you, I, as, as Israel was, and as it's repeated again in the, in the New Testament, we were once sojourners and strangers in a strange land, right? And we are to think of ourselves as as sojourners with them and share what we have. And that is the Christian ethic. Yeah, well, yeah, it, it is, it's, it, it's interesting from my perspective, and, and, I'll, and I'll just say this, and then Sam, you, you can respond or, you know, get, kind of give your take on this as well. 
uh, oftentimes when it comes to immigration, um, you know, I, I'm I'm one that you know, and I've heard I've heard a pretty valid argument that one of the best things that we could do would be to bring in immigrants here to come, you know, learn, train, all that kind of stuff. And then they go back to their countries and make their countries better instead of us hoarding all of the resource all of the resources from other countries because then if 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 there's nobody that's trained in medicine or you know top doctors or whatever it is and we're all hoarding it here, those third world countries aren't ever going to have the good medical resources in order to do that. So I think that I think there's a valid argument actually for less permanent immigration uh, if if we're going to bring them here, train them, and then send them back. So that, that's an interesting perspective. Now the other thing that I will say as well is, you know, because I, I grew up in, in Arizona and we dealt with a lot of the illegal immigration stuff, you know, constantly. And, you know, I have, I have a lot of friends that, that were illegal immigrants and they told the story of actually coming across the border and what that entailed and, and, you know, and that sort of thing. And for me, I feel like the compassionate argument would be to flat out shut down the border uh, and take the power away from the cartels because of the sex trafficking, because of the drugs, because of the rapes that occur, because of the violence that occurs, because of, because of the potential, you know, death that even occurs uh, trying to come over, and you're giving the power to the cartels. And so from my perspective, I feel like the most compassionate thing that we can do for immigrants that want to come here would be to, A, reform the immigration system, uh, you know, but at the same time, maybe not have as much of permanent residency, you know, and things like that, because we want to better these other countries. But at the same time, take the power away from the cartels and the gangs that are literally abusing these people and taking advantage of these people that they're just trying to come here for opportunity. So that that's kind of my perspective on the immigration side. Yeah, Jeff, that's that's really great. And that's not a perspective that's really, uh, you know, told out there. I mean, you're you're. I, I, within the conservative side, that's that's a that humanitarian aspect is is a minority. I haven't I haven't really heard that being espoused as much. I guess as a Christian, my concern is more um, the the xenophobic sort of uh, you know remnant of the Republican Party that just doesn't want it because um, they can't assimilate or because they're dumber or because they're bringing crime over here. You know as well some some of these. Uh, undocumented immigrants are some of the most hardworking, law-abiding individuals. I mean, when they're starving in their home country and they come over here so that they can send money back to, you know, whatever country they came from. I mean, they 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 don't even uh, they don't even want to be around people who don't follow the law. You know, so but what I find oftentimes is that these people are are just not welcomed here. And that's that's what I'm concerned with. I'm concerned with a president who basically says, you know, they're they're not the best. And in a Christian ethic, you you don't say that because, as I think Matthew 25 says, um, we need to see Jesus in them because Jesus was a refugee to Egypt, fleeing Herod's massacre, right, and then came back from Egypt. So. Um, you know, Jesus was in jail. Jesus was impoverished. He was a stranger. He was a sojourner. And he basically, he basically, you know, tells his disciples, you know, when, you know, his disciples ask him, when did we ever do this to you? And, you know, you visited me in jail. You did this when you gave me a cup of water, etc. And oftentimes we don't see these immigrants as a, a way to serve them. Sometimes we see them as a, 
oh, they're they're coming, and 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 I think this is halfway right, you know, where they're coming towards us, so we need to give them the gospel. But it's still sort of a white man's burden, right? Where it's like it's still our jobs to be the teachers and to teach them how to live. And there was a senatorial candidate the other day. I I saw her tweet that basically said that. Third, people who come from the third world have no idea how to live in a civil society. And I'm just, you know, I don't know if she's Christians or not, but as, that is certainly not the Christian uh, mentality. The Christian mentality is we need to serve them. You know, if they're coming over here, um, especially as refugees, Syrian refugees back in 2017, 2018, when they're fleeing, you know, um, the civil war and ISIS and all of that to be turned away. And these were our brothers and sisters. These weren't even Muslims or anything like that. These were Christian people who were being turned away by our country because you know what? They might be, you know, there might be some uh, extremists hiding, uh, hiding among them. And I just, when I, when I see this, I just, I, I, I don't see the Christian ethic in that. The Christian, I speak to this as an evangelical who wants to make sure that we don't turn the, the the ones who are needy, who are oppressed. You know, I was reading the the book of Amos this morning, and it, it just struck me how, how much the minor prophets talked about Israel's sin, not being that they weren't doing religious life well, but that they were do at least in this book, there, there are other books, but in this book, it was it was there, they were oppressing those who were needy, those who were marginalized. And I think maybe as, as evangelicals, we need to get into that spirit of the minor prophets and call out those who are rich in our society to repent of using using those who are marginalized in the society to uh, for their own ends. Yeah, Sam, what 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 are, you, what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, well, I I, I think one one of the big things that uh, that you're bringing up is the the, the Christian ethic. In uh, the Christian ethic, I, I think that there's a few different um, ideas behind what the Christian ethic is, and one that I would put forward uh, is is found in John, or excuse me, Second John one six, where it says, uh, "This is love that we walk according to His commandments." Uh, this is the commandment, as you've heard from the beginning, that you should walk in it, and so it kind of confirms that idea. Sorry, I've got I just had like 15 notifications pop up on my phone here, um, but. Uh, we look at this idea, and I think there there are two different ideas when it comes to uh, the, the Christian ethic, or two predominant ones. Um, one is uh, w- what would be defined as the situation ethics, um, which was put forth uh, by Joseph Fletcher in the 1960s. Uh, 1966, he wrote his book, uh, Situation Ethics, The New Morality. Um, and he defines it uh, quite a bit with this idea of love, uh, of a love ethic, and as he put it, um, as opposed to a law ethic. Uh, and, and this was, uh, a, a, I don't want to say quite a radical idea, because I believe in, in practice it had been around um, since the beginning of time, essentially. Uh, but it, it, at least for Western uh, civilization, it, it was um, academically uh, quite a, a revelation here uh, for Christianity. Um, and I'm not saying necessarily, I wouldn't agree with situation ethics, I'm not saying that necessarily in a good way. Uh, but he would say that we should have a love ethic as opposed to a a law ethic. But the problem that I find with this is that Scripture, uh, like I said here, Second John uh, one six or John um, fourteen fifteen, where Jesus says, "If you love me, keep my commandments." Uh, we find that love and law, uh, or love, is actually how or excuse me, how, law is how love acts. Uh, it, it is how it's it's played forth that God has set forth a specific ethic as to how we ought to uh, ought to live. 
Uh, and when it comes to Im- immigration, uh, what we're looking at now, of course, I'm, I'm not against immigration at all. Uh, but what I am against is uh, is I- illegal immigration or invasion is what it would be called when it's not gone through the proper channels. Uh, and that's uh, a big thing. And we look at, you know, uh, what's brought up about Jesus going to uh, to Egypt. Well, at that time, Egypt was actually part of the Roman Empire, uh, much as where Jesus was born. So, I mean, it's much closer to the idea of moving from Iowa to Nebraska, uh, or probably more accurately saying from Ireland to Northern Ireland or somewhere else uh, within the UK. I-, I might be slaughtering that for those who are uh, British out there. Sorry if I got that all, all mixed up there. Um, but it's that idea of, uh, it's a lot less of uh, illegal immigration. It would be something that would be within the normative uh, side of things. Uh, legally. Uh, now, I, I don't think that there's anyone who would go, I, I shouldn't say, because th- there probably are some people who would go and present that there shouldn't be uh, uh, immigration reform. But I think there should be uh, immigration reform. Maybe we do need to look at how our rules are as to how people can come in and different things like that. Uh, but the the other thing I would put forth, and I think this is probably where a lot of the disagreement comes to that idea of illegal immigration and immigration. Uh, Robert, you had stated at the beginning that you're not a nationalist. I, I would go and say uh, that the Bible actually does teach um, nationalism. Now, it, it doesn't teach it in the sense of like, um, uh, it isn't like the Nazis who are national socialists or, or things like that, uh, but it does teach it in Acts 17, 26, where it says, uh, and he has made from us one blood every nation of men to dwell in all the face of the earth, and has determined pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings. Uh, and so we can see there uh, that pre-appointed times and dwellings, those are what we call borders. And so he has gone and, and put actual nations upon this earth. Uh, and looking at that, it's not necessarily a global society, but a uh, individual uh, national societies. And, and he does make those distinct. And of course, those are uh, by geographical uh, borders. Um, and so then there, there should be rules as to how you can come in and, and camp, because uh, there could be those who are of ill intent and it is the uh, our, the government's job to go and to defend the innocent, and so it is the government's responsibility, therefore, to go and to vet who's coming in and who's coming out, or to put uh, rules in place so that we don't have people uh, who come in with ill intent. And that doesn't mean that everybody who's come in uh, is of ill intent, and that's that's not what I'm trying to say uh, when I say that. But I'm just going and saying that the the rules uh, do need to be put in place, and then it should be followed the rules. Uh, as to get in. And that's not always a, a perfect system as to how it works, uh, but I think it's probably the, the best system as to, as to what we can have uh, to fulfill that idea of protecting the innocent uh, and punishing the wicked. Yeah, just uh, to go back on your nationalist, when I, when I mean that I'm not a nationalist means that um, I put my citizenship of heaven above my American citizenship. That's, that's okay. what I mean. And there are some there are some places there are there are actually churches where uh, they're the Church of the Patriots, you know, and they sing patriotic songs and they have, you know, so I mean, there's that that's really what I mean. I I definitely think that um, one can be a a good citizen and still be a, a good a good Christian. But if my citizenship is is becomes idolatry, then I, I must I, I must defer to my heavenly citizenship. And, and that's what I mean. And I'm sure okay. you guys agree. Um, in regards to immigration, um, so um, these borders that have been placed are man-made. Um, I think they're, I, I agree with Jeff, right? I mean, if, if our mentality is, 
hey, let's uh, let's make sure that that, you know, they come here, that we give them, you know, that we share our schools with them, that we share our time and please go back, make your communities better, because I think there's a hubris here when it when it comes to illegal immigration. People don't leave the country that they've been born in, that they have their family in, their connections. Sometimes their churches, their friendships were, you know, they have great, great grandparents there and they're still living in the same land. People don't leave that for America without a good reason. Because by and large, we're trained that, you know what, um, we can move from state to state. Uh, from from country to country, from city to city, depending on economic opportunity and housing prices and all of that, we're you know as American, we're we're comfortable with that. I think the majority of the world isn't. So when you have a person who does this, um, I don't think they're seeking out to take advantage of or or really do that. They're they're doing this out of necessity. Uh, a lot of undocumented immigration. The control coyotes, as as Jeff says, because they want to live in a land that doesn't even love them or want them or considers them to be illegal. Um, a lot of people do it out of necessity. And what I'm saying is um, there there are arguments, pros and cons. I could mention the fact that undocumented immigration is a is a is a public charge for the first generation, but in the second generation they begin contributing towards um, towards uh, society. So over the long run. Even undocumented immigration is good for the overall economy. Uh, there's a reason corporations are for undocumented immigration because we need the labor so that we can expand and our GDP can expand and so that we have more labor and more entrepreneurial spirit and all that. So there are those arguments. Um, I also agree that we're not, we can't be a nation without borders, right? We just can't. Um, and we can't be a welfare state, you know, like the social net that we need, um, and, and have no borders, because that means that anybody can just take advantage of that and will be bankrupt. And I think we have to be good stewards of the money that we receive. What I'm talking about is the Christian ethic. Um, the Christian ethic that says that when these people come, they are people. And you view them firstly as people, not as people who are going to take your jobs, people who are going to uh, steal what you have, that are going to rape somebody, that are going to commit crimes, they are first people. And it's not even people where when they come, we need to teach them how to live, these barbarians, that we need to teach them the finer way. These are people that we need to serve. And primarily, the example that we get here is of the incarnation, where Christ, when he came, he had every right to be a king, but instead he came in the form of a slave, right? He served others. He didn't come to teach us it's interesting. It, it never says that, that Christ came to, I, I don't want to use that language, but the dominant language of Christ's ministry on earth is service. And through that, he, he serves us through his teaching, through his example, through ultimately his active and passive obedience uh, imputed to us in righteousness. Um, so I'll go there, theological language, but it talks about service. And I think to model the incarnation to these people who are coming over, disenfranchised, impoverished, and in desperate need, our role as Christians is to serve them. To not look out for how can we serve them and make ourselves feel good, not look out how they're stealing from us, not be scared of them as being, you know, uh, of ill repute, but to, but to demonstrate the love of God to them. And that is what I'm concerned about.
Yeah. Well, yeah. It it, it seems it seems like the, to me though, uh, looking at it from from the other perspective, a, a lot of the arguments against uh, let's say the conservative side or even the, or even the Trump side of 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 this issue on immigration, it seems like it's 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 rooted in the in the and i'm not i'm not trying to attribute motive to you or anything like that but it seems like it's rooted in the talking points that we'll see like on cnn or the mainstream talking points and things like that only in the sense of like for example with dealing with president trump and the and the claims of, of xenophobia against uh against immigrants um th- that was dealing with the fact that that there are criminals that do come across it doesn't he, and he didn't say all but there are criminals that, that do come across, um, and we know that, especially dealing with uh, with MS-13, dealing with the cartels, dealing with things like that. Um, you know, in, in dealing with um, you know a lot of these different issues, I think I I don't think at least for me, and I've talked to a lot of conservatives. I turned I, I you know on my on my secular show that I have free, Freedom One on One, I interview a lot of the mainstream conservative uh, you know leaders and people you'd see like on Fox News and people that you see being interviewed everywhere. I haven't met anybody who doesn't view them and isn't compassionate towards the immigrant that's trying to come across the border. Um, what what I see though is is a priority on the fact that w- that we do need to have a border. We do need to enforce it. Uh, there obviously there are different um, there are different motivations. Some economic, uh, some compassionate, like mine. Although I wish more people would take my my approach on on the reasoning and the argumentation. Um, but I th- but I think that I guess dealing with all of this dealing with immigration, dealing with the economy, dealing with all these different issues, I see I see the rationale of critiquing the Republican Party. But then to then take that and then take that in support of, of the Democrat Party so far as casting a vote for them, it seems like we're taking that vote and, and casting it for the complete opposite, for a party that is completely for open borders for a party that's completely for abortion for a party that's completely for uh redistribution of wealth and uh and social justice and a lot of this kind of stuff and it seems like we're taking we're taking away a vote from from a party that maybe they're not acting as much as we wish that they would or that they're not following through as we wish they, they would and then casting it for a party like that's represented by joe Bar- joe biden and kamala harris that's going completely opposite it seems like to me of of what the Bible would talk about with a lot of these issues that we've been uh, referring to. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County, member FDIC. Yeah, and, I, and again, in regards to immigration, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I, I would still say that the Democratic platform is more biblical than the Republican one. So, so I, I guess kind of what I'm seeing uh, in, in what you're saying, though, is that it's. Um, it's not compassionate or, or somehow compassion and law and order are somehow uh, opposed to one another. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is, and I don't want to, I don't want to straw man you on that. Uh, is that what you're saying here is that somehow uh, upholding our borders and uh, 
being compassionate are two things that are um, against one another? Hmm. I'd have to think about that. But what I do know is that sometimes these mantras of law and order are really, especially when you go back to the Nixon era and how law and order was used as sort of a code work for segregation and for uh, white supremacy, it seems I, I really don't like that term. Can you, are these opposed to one another? What I'm saying is regardless of what you believe about these immigration status, or a, a, an immigration position can take place, I believe that the Christian ethic should still be compassion. Yeah, well, and, and, it, and, and, and what I mean is going back to my original premise about the church being prophetic, I think the church has to criticize both parties, right? On one hand, the Republicans who have tendencies of being xenophobic towards the other, towards people who are who are non-white, people who are who are coming from other countries. On the other hand, you have Democrats who just see them as votes, who just want to use them for their own political uh, activism, right? The church needs to stand back and criticize both parties and be an active voice in that. How, how all of that works around in a party, I think relate more to number three, how can we do, how can we implement the common good? Whether it is having open borders. There's some, there some Christians that believe in open borders. There are some Christians like you guys that, that do not believe in open border, but border security. But I believe that you have to see these two issues as separately and you have to see what is the church's prophetic mission. And that is to show compassion and to parties whenever you have these detentions that separate families, right? In Adelanto, that people are dying because they don't have, they have lack of health care, right? In these facilities when there, there's no air conditioning or you have these asylum camps outside of our countries because uh, we've closed off asylum entry because of COVID, right? There has to be that, that Christian biblical voice from the, that con, not just the evangelical community, but the conservative evangelical community saying this is not right. Right. And so, that's the second issue. And it's being conflated with a third issue, which is how do you have a, a, a Christian uh, immigration system that we can disagree? It's a conscience issue. There's not one right answer, because until Jesus comes and establishes his, his throne in Jerusalem, we really won't have a godly government, you know, a perfect form of governance. And that we can disagree and we can look what is what is best for them, as Jeff is saying, what is best for them in their countries. We can think about what's best for us and our children and, and the stewardship of our resources. But I, I guess what I'm trying to divide is is the, the church's prophetic voice and the common good. And I think these two come mix and we say, well, the, the biblical position is borders. And I'm just not sure you can make that. Uh, distinction just because borders is a, it's a in the history of of civilization is a fairly recent thing going back to basically Greece right and especially modern borders before people could just literally walk from country to country now we have uh, borders and you have passports and you have registries so it's a fairly recent development and I think as Christians we have to worry about our, our prophetic voice and not mix the two let me polarize the situation in a, in a good way, I think, as opposed to a bad way. A lot of times polarization is, is wrong, but I, but I think in taking this to an extreme, uh, it, it might help give some clarity on, on this, because I don't think that 
Uh, I don't think that necessarily upholding, and, and it's fine if you don't use the term law and order, but upholding the, the laws of the land or the, the agreed upon rules or the laws, uh, their in compassion are necessarily uh, in conflict with one another. Um, I, I was put in a situation a few years ago where I uh, had a, a man come uh, for counseling, uh, and I'm not going to obviously get into anything that's, uh, that, that's super specific, uh, but needless to say, he was uh, involved in pedophilia. Uh, and of course, um, totally wrong, totally terrible, uh, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and there were two things I, I wanted to, to find out. One uh, was, um, I, in fact, actually, I, I asked him, I said, you know, have you turned yourself in? And uh, he did, which, which was good. And, and he's uh, in, in prison today uh, for that. But the second thing I was, I was concerned about uh, was the salvation of his soul. And so um, in, in going and in, in looking at that, uh, we went through the gospel and there came a time uh, about uh, after uh, about four Bible studies, actually, I think it was the af- after the third Bible study, uh, that he came to me and he said, you know, I, I want to thank you uh, for two things. One, not being easy on what I did that was wrong. And the second thing is, uh, is sharing the gospel with me. And uh, this man now leads uh, Bible studies in prison, which definitely is not an easy thing uh, given his his position. Uh, but looking at that, I don't think that we can necessarily say that compassion uh, and laws are uh, necessarily have to go against one another. In fact, I, I think that they go uh, for one another because part of justice is that there is a consequence for doing something that's that's wrong. And when it comes to to our nation, we do have these these rules. And so am I saying that we should go and look at people who illegally immigrate and say, oh, gee, I hope they go to hell? Well, no, of course we shouldn't do that as Christians. Uh, we should have a, a gospel care for them and want to share the gospel with them. But that also doesn't mean that we have to be uh, in favor of breaking the rules. Now, maybe that means that we are uh, in favor of, of changing those rules uh, and looking at that kind of a thing. I, I do understand that perspective um, also. Um but uh, but looking at that, I, I don't think that necessarily that means that we have to be uh, in favor of illegal immigration uh, in order to be compassionate either. Yeah, and, and I agree with you. I think, again, with the church's prophetic voice, I, I think we have to call out both political parties and just make sure that they retain some some semblance of Christian ethics. Right. We need to be loving. We need to serve them. And it's our job as Christians to do that. And I think sometimes when we align more to one political party, we we sort of lose that prophetic voice and it all just becomes political. What what I'm also saying is that we can have different takes on this topic that uh, it's not like pedophilia. I mean, every I think every. Yeah, yeah, it's not in a sense, but um, we can have different solutions um, and they're all going to be imperfect. But I think what we try to do is is have the, the, the most good. Right. And we have to take a lot of different factors. So, you know, there are some people who believe uh, let's just the, I, I like I like Jeff's point a lot. Um, let's just say let's just have a hard border. You know what I mean? Well, the argument is you're just going to empower the cartels. You're going to empower the um, people who couldn't who would normally just have walked before. Um, now they're going to use criminal enterprises, get behind semis, pay off people and, and get them bribed. So if you make the the law, the laws more stringent, you actually aid um, circumvention of those laws. And we can argue about that. 
I think that's that's fine, and we can and we can do the best we can to make sure we're promoting good and where that compassion that we have as evangelicals is coming through in the way that we're doing the law. Um, that first one, the prophetic voice, I don't think there's room for disagreement there. I don't I don't think you can be a Christian and love the Lord your God and hate your neighbor, right? I mean, they go hand in hand. Your love for God and your love for others, um, and 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 applied, right? But I think there's room for disagreement as Christians on how this is enacted. And, and what I see with the RNC and DNC is you essentially have um, two parties that are trying to solve this issue in different ways. Um, and I, I just think that when it comes to these things, it seems that the RNC focuses more on that tertiary category, the third category, which is um, the, the pragmatic side on how to do this, uh, whereas the DNC actually has a more Christian ethic because they focus more on the compassionate side of things. And to be honest, I, you know, especially with my kids or, or with, with anybody in, in my life, I'd rather lean more on grace where I'm being taken advantage of, but I give God's grace to people rather than coming down in the side of law because we all know with kids you know that uh we have that dichotomy and and the reason i do that is because jesus did that because he gave grace and he was um he was compassionate and ultimately it led him to die it was it was a preordained plan of god but when we do that we model jesus even if we're taking advantage of we model jesus um, and, and, and even if we're taking advantage of, at least we can come to Jesus and say, I, I did it for you and I did it to show your glory. What they do with that is up to them. But, but I'm here to be your representative on earth. I'm here to see Jesus in them. And I think that is the, uh, the Christian ethic. And that is why in the, in the form of immigration, I just see in the DNC platform that I do in the Republican one, because of you, you go down the line and you just see these, these things over and over again. Uh, how do you reconcile that view with the book of Nehemiah, where God's hand was upon Nehemiah specifically to build a wall, which, of course, to build a wall, and granted, I understand this is around a city, not necessarily totally around a nation, um, but, I mean, it was, in essence, uh, I, I mean, making a, a hard border. Um, I mean, it specifically stated that God's hand was upon Nehemiah. Um, so, I, I mean, I think it's it's kind of a leap to, uh, to go into to say that, because I think throughout scripture, um, we do see more of the hard border side with God, uh, than we do the soft border side, which, which would be more what, um, what the Democrats would, would present. Theologically, uh, two things. Number one, I'm not a supersessionist or a, a theonomist, which means that I believe that the church did not replace Israel. And I believe that Israel's one entity and the church is another. They are Jews. We are Gentiles. America's not Israel. I also don't believe that God's law needs to become the law of the land. Um, so that's how I would answer the first one. I think in the book of Nehemiah and then Ezra, they both um, they both came, I believe, because they read the scrolls, the the prophecy of Daniel, and knew that they needed to rebuild the city so that the so that they could come back because it was a predetermined time that the Jews were going to come back, and they saw that in faith and knew that they were going to be used. So I think when Nehemiah went as a, his cupbearer went up to. 
um, I think are sexies or uh, mm -hmm. I, I, yeah, um, I think I think it wasn't just blind faith. It wasn't just natural, you know, nationalist pride. I think he read the scroll. I, I, I think it actually says in scripture that he read the scroll of Daniel and knew that the, the return was near. So he knew that that he was he was part of that prophecy. So that's how I would respond to that one. In regards to everything else, I would just use the, the book of um, I would use Acts and Pentecost where God before was speaking one language and confused all the nations and spread them out. But now in, 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 in Christianity, he has brought, you know, you know, instead of having uh, many voices, he has brought one voice, right? The Holy Spirit, that it transcends culture, it transcends uh, not the culture and, and languages and the way that we are is not important, but uh, he brings us together and we are a nation that without a nation, we are a sojourner and stranger. I have... I have far more in common with with uh, a communist Christian in China who is a Jesus follower than my next door neighbor who does not believe in Jesus. I have far more in common with that Chinese man, even though we may disagree on on everything except for Jesus, because we are family and because we are we both belong to a nation. And that nation is the people of God, which is uh, the church headed by the Lord Jesus Christ. And, and that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. I'm not, and, and I'm not saying that being an American is unimportant. I'm not, I'm not being Gnostic here. I'm not saying that the, that the material does not matter. I'm not saying that, that my identity does not matter. What I'm saying is that the Christian ethic transcends all of that and should not, you know, we have this sort of uh, national ethic here, uh, you know, nature and grace. We have this nature, right? But grace perfects, it elevates nature. And that's that's what I hope that Christians do, that we take these these systems of politics, which are not evil in themselves, right? And we elevate them. We elevate our political parties. We elevate our churches, our families, and all these institutions so that they're more in line with what Christian says, what with what Christ says in the Bible teaches us. So... Uh, so you mentioned you're, you're not a theonomist, and theonomy simply means, as you mentioned, uh, God's law, uh, those, those two things. Um, but what you are advocating is what it sounds like is that we should have God's ethic uh, or, or the Christian ethic, right, yeah. uh, w w within our political sphere. Is that correct? Uh, God's ethic in the political sphere? No, what I'm saying is that we should take, it's not that the Christian ethic should become a political party. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying so, is- So do you think that there's something better than the, than the Christian ethic for the political party? Because wouldn't, wouldn't the Christian ethic be the greatest good? Because either God has it right or God has it wrong. So do you believe that Yeah, I'd have to get back to you on that. I'm, I'm just, I'm, I'm not, I'm not comfortable with theonomy just because we, you know, what law is it, right? Where, where in the New Testament do we, do we receive instructions on? Um, oh, did I lose you guys? No, we're here. Oh, yep. Hello. No, okay. we're. Uh, can, can you hear us? Okay. No worries. Connection. Yeah. Yeah. You know, where in the New Testament does it say that, you know, what kind of a political party we need to have, what kind of 
what kind of government we need to have. We're not, we're not Israel, right? It, it, it says in the New Testament that we are a kingdom of priests, right? We are to be a light of the nation, but it doesn't really give the kind of of uh, direction that the Pentateuch gives us, that the book of Leviticus, and it gives us, um, you know, all these rules for 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 a public practice and how the nation needs to be in this sort of cyclical uh you know cycles of feasts and worship and things like that and the country needs to shut down during the sabbath etc like the, the new testament doesn't give us any of that um it just doesn't and i just don't believe that we need to you know that the, that the new testament christian needs to go to the old testament and adopt those laws okay so, so that's, and, and, and that's a distinction you know that yeah, uh, uh, yeah. Right. Now, now, but what you have been presenting is that we need to have compassion, we need to have love, and Jesus himself said that he sums up the uh, the law and the prophets as loving uh, the Lord your God and loving your neighbor as yourself. And so that's actually how he summarizes the law and the prophets. And so the, the point that, I, that I'm making is that you're, you're advocating for love and you're advocating for the Christian ethics, saying, in the greatest good, uh, but then you're, you're going and saying, okay— uh, but these things go against God's word, um, and yet you're still uh, justifying the vote there, the things that are against that, when it seems to be the, the three principles that you're bringing up as uh, love, compassion, and the greatest good, or, or excuse me, uh, comp love, compassion, uh, the greatest good, and the Christian ethic are actually exactly how you would describe theonomy. Um, you're, you're just not actually defining, uh, it might not necessarily be theonomy in the sense of, uh, is the systematized uh, theonomy, but in the uh, in the definition of the word God's law. Yeah, and, and regarding that, in the in the way that you view nature and grace, um, I would describe your view as as grace sort of obliterates nature in that it gives us it gives us a way to move forward in all types of spheres, uh, economic systems, etc. What I'm what I'm saying is that na uh, grace does not obliterate nature. In other words, it doesn't. It, the Bible doesn't really give us an economic system. It doesn't give us necessarily a legal system. It doesn't. It doesn't give us rules on traffic it doesn't it doesn't give us a lot of things right um it just doesn't that's just you know and and that's that's even including the old testament if you just include the new testament what it basically is saying right that you become uh, paul's ethic was you become all things to all men right so that you may win some in, in in other words what grace does and 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 i think i think this distinction honestly sam and i think this conversation is a conversation that needs to be had more in evangelical circles and this is why i i love the doctrine of creation is it's not necessarily how old the earth is but it's this conversation between nature the way that we have built culture and civilization and grace and your uh i don't know if it's your view or maybe you're just being like a devil's advocate but the the view that you're espousing there with theonomy sort of grace this what, what that means is this sort of revealed um, knowledge from the scriptures in that only grace can reveal these things that, that means from God sort of obliterates nature, right? So in other words, we need to do away with all the laws and just replace them with, with a Christian ethic. What I'm saying is you have this nature, you have all these laws, the Christian ethic perfects that. It elevates that. So I'm not saying that we, that we take that away. What I'm saying, we elevate that. Now in regards to... What is the most loving thing to do? Wouldn't it be just to to you know erase that? I think God loves us to have uh, a certain cultural system and a certain way of 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 
you know, doing arts and a certain, you know, and I, I think, I, I don't think it's sin. I don't think it's sin that our government mandates that we go, you know, 65 on the freeway or, or all those things. I think they're just part of what it means to be human and there's nothing intrinsic sinful about them. I think, I think there are sinful parts and this is going back to being the prophetic voice. I think there are sinful parts in our society and we as Christians need to call those out and reject those. But it doesn't mean that our society is absolutely uh, broken from the fact that we're doing culture building. Culture building is something that God has made us to do. It's part of its cultural mandate in Genesis 2, be fruitful and multiply and subdue. That's a cultural mandate. He has told us to build societies, right? And those societies are good. The problem is that we're sinful beings and those societies tend to get corruption corrupted. When Christ comes, right, um, I believe that he's going to he's going to perfect those 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 ways of doing culture. Uh, but that's more of an eschatological view. I don't think he's going to destroy human culture. I don't think it's something that, oh, we can't participate in that or we can't go to the beach or anything like that because we need to be evangelizing. I think going to the beach and enjoying things, it's actually it's actually something that is allowed within within God's economy. And I think that's how I would I would define it. And I, I, I don't think I'm intending for any less good. It's just I really think that the way of us doing culture is something that God is pleased with. Our job is to elevate that with our understanding of grace. Yeah, and, and I okay. and I get the, and I and I get that, and, and I think and I think that that kind of leads into uh, maybe the final point of discussion because I know I know we've been going for 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 quite a while. It's been it's, for me it, it, a lot of this fascinating has been, discussion. It's been fascinating the, the entire time, but but I but I think for me, looking at the Democrat platform, it seems like or you know comparing the Democrat platform with the Republican platform. Um, I think, I think there is, there's valid critique of the Republican side and, and I've, I've been very critical over the years of, of Republicans on, on a wide variety of issues. Um, especially, you know, especially, you know, even, even going back and I know Sam and I actually had a debate on, on a show that we have called fight night about, about a lot of these kinds of issues. Um, you know, especially dealing with theonomy versus conservatism. I, I tend to be more of like a classical liberal libertarian street kind of a thing. Um, but there's a lot of valid criticism of the Republican Party. Um, a lot of it is that they don't follow through on what they actually say. And a lot of that is because there's a system in, in Washington, D.C., and I always say this, that both sides thrive and raise money in campaign on on uh, tension and chaos and fighting. They don't actually want to fix anything. Mm-hmm. They just need something to campaign on and point the other person and say that they're bad, give me money, yeah. and I'll take them down kind of a thing. But... I think the difference is that the Republican Party they don't follow through on on what they say um, uh, in, in that sort of thing. The Democrat Party, from my perspective, and looking at uh, the Democrat National Convention, looking at the stated platform, if you go to JoeBiden.com, you look at the things that he's promoting. It seems like it's not just that they have a different solution. It's not just that they are open to letting people have different views on homosexuality on on immigration, on um, on wealth, or whatever it might be. It seems like they're actively promoting anti-biblical uh, views. And, you know, it's not just that they're okay with gay marriage. It's that they are saying, this is good. This is what we should be pursuing. And I think that that becomes the danger for me of the of voting Democrat, uh, from my perspective, is that when, the, when you have a party that's saying abortion is good and we should encourage it, 
gay marriage is good and we should encourage it. Um, you know, and you can kind of go down the list of, of sin, transgenderism, the same kind of a thing. I'm not saying we shouldn't be sympathetic. Uh, you know, I, you know, again, I'm out here in California, you know, you, you meet a lot of people, you, you need, you need to love a lot of people. And I think Christians fail in the love aspect of dealing with, with the gay community and things like that. But there's one party that it seems like there's, they're actively promoting sin. And I think that that for me is the concern with Christians voting Democrat is when they are actively promoting the abortion and the gay marriage and the transgenderism and the list goes on and on and on. That to me seems to be my concern, if that makes sense. Yeah. And the point is well taken. Unfortunately, we live in a complex world where we have to make complex um, ethical decisions, right? And uh, the fact of the matter is, is that the, the, there are parts of the DNC platform that are deeply troubling. Uh, it's not lost on me that abortion is, is murder, that there are individuals that are okay with partial birth abortion. To me, I just think that that is, if that's not a tall tale sign of where we are as a nation, I don't know what is. What I also care about, however, is the fact that the Christian response to racism has been so poor that nobody knew what critical race theory was until you know Black Lives Matter, Matter basically arose, right? Uh, Black Lives, you know, their 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 slogan has been there, their mission statement has been there for a long time, and now Christians who are for racial equality. Um, are now being accused of being uh, Marxist. There are a lot of terrible things in this country that are being perpetuated by both political parties. And uh, it, the decision wasn't wasn't easy. When you invited me on the show, my tweet said that this decision wasn't easy to support Biden because I recognize all of that. I think the Democratic Party has a problem in their hand where they have competing ideologies that contradict one another. It's very hard to be pro gen, you know, transgenderism and still be a feminist because feminism sort of loses <laughs> its its appeal there, right? So you have these liberation theologies that contradict one another. How do you bring you know bring them together? Um, you really can't, but what you, but, but on the other hand, um, you can't really be the president of free world and, and, and literally make things worse. And I think that the president res, president's response and the, the, the Republican party's response to, uh, George Floyd and everything that happened this summer has been, um, has been poor. Nobody, um, I don't know, maybe you guys disagree, but nobody likes looting extremes aside, right? And when I when I saw George and I'm going to bring this up at the very end so that we don't have any time to discuss this, really. <laughs> but when you uh, when 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 you have that and I thought it was actually going to be a healing moment from the church that they were going to see this white supremacy, they were going to going to see these, uh, you know, these these forms of, you know, these these minor characters in, in police uniform that really put out a bad name for the rest of the great police officers that we have. Um when 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 that happened, I thought that churches were going to rise up and were going to be voices that were prophetically going to bring healing to our land regarding this whole racist thing. Instead, what we got was a lot of critical race theory that you know basically told us uh, we can't say Black Lives Matter because Black Lives Matter is is a Marxist, and if you say Black Lives Matter, you're a Marxist yourself and you're a communist and you you know etc. Um, 
there there are a lot more issues here than just abortion and transgenderism. And it was a hard choice because for the first time I had to look in the mirror and say, I can't just be a, a single issues voter anymore. I have to love my neighbor. And to me, racism um, was the big point here. And when you have a when you have a, a president who tear gases other Christians to pose with an upside down Bible <laughs> uh, outside of a church promising law and order, I think I think it sends the wrong message. And as a Christian, as an evangelical who thinks that the prophetic voice of the church is one of the ways that we are that prophetic voice is to make sure that justice flows down like a river upon this land. I just found it. Um, I just found his action and and the Republican talking points to be out of line with scripture. And it was a hard decision because both both political parties are imperfect. I think Sam, I think you 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 found what what uh, what works for you and I found what worked for me, but I think um, it was a hard choice because of what you say, Jeff. There's a lot of things in the Democratic platform that are just anti-biblical and i would say there's a lot of things in the republican platform that are anti-biblical too bank of clark county is making it easy to give to local charities we're featuring a different one at each of our bank of clark county locations to find out how you can support their good work visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. Yeah, well, you know, and I, and I, th- I think for me, and you know, and you know, to dive a little bit, a little bit into into the whole into the whole you know racism side of things as well again just just a little bit because i know i know we're at the end but but i but i feel like um i i think that there's and maybe to a certain degree on both sides and because again we we have to give credence to critiques on both sides and that sort of thing but i feel like a a lot of the things that made everything so polarized in response to george floyd um, was the overinflation um, and maybe the overreaction of both sides? I think to a certain degree. So, like, so, like, for example, I th- I think the concern that a lot of conservatives and a lot of evangelicals have with with the whole George Floyd incident was that everybody immediately jumped to number one, it was racist, and number two, it's proof that there's systemic racism within the police force, and number three, that then proves that there's systemic racism in our entire country, in our entire system. We need to, we need to tear it down and build it back up. Now you did mention that black lives matter, uh, and dealing with the whole Marxist side of things, which the founders are self-proclaimed Marxist. So there is, there is that side of things. But I think, I think that the thing is, is that a lot of us were just like, can we let, let's just wait and find out was this actually racist or not? And I think that when you look at the George Floyd incident, I don't I, I don't see the evidence of the racism, right? And and I think we and I think we can see we can say the same for for Jacob Blake. You know, it's tragic that he's sitting there in in a hospital right now and and paralyzed because he was shot and that sort of thing. But at the same time, he had just raped the mother of his children with the children in the car, stole her car, went to the ATM, took took a took her ATM card, took money out of her account came back was resisting arrest the police show up and and then finally shoot him when he's reaching into his car for for a weapon in the front of his car with his kids in the back of the car i i think that for conservatives i i think a lot of times it's not as it's not that we are okay with racism it's that 
we don't want to give credibility to a claim of racism unless it's actually racism. And I think that that's where a lot of times we talk past each other on the on the left and the right is because we just immediately jump to talking points. Happens constantly on the right, happens constantly on the left, and I blame Twitter algorithms and a lack of personal responsibility on both sides for, for that. But but I think but I think dealing with the racism side, I haven't seen I haven't seen any actual evangelicals promoting racism or racist ideology. Um, and I haven't seen any Republicans actually pushing racism uh, or racist ideologies. And if there are, we see conservatives go over the top condemning that. Um, so, so I just want to look at that from from my perspective. I don't know if that changes anything, but that's that's just that's just my response. And I appreciate that, um, but that will have to be the subject of uh, of another podcast and another <laughs> conversation, Jeff. Yeah. Um, I'll, I'll I'll just leave it um, with this. Um, I think uh, my point here was that I think you know whether you vote for Biden or you vote for Trump, right? And I think I was a little just just to be honest, I I I I, I am sorry for for my tweet in this regard that I think I was a little bit too black and white. Um, with my tweet, but I, but um, the response to it was largely, uh, I need to be excommunicated, right? <laughs> um, and I think we need to give, uh, there needs to be a difference in our Christian witness between the, the things that are um, acts of the prophetic church and how to seek the common good. And we can have all sorts of of disagreement over what seeks the, the common good, and we can have different perspectives. And, you know, they're all going to be wrong because we're just, we're, we're finite sinners who are trying to do something, you know, bigger than ourselves. Sometimes we'll get it right. Sometimes we'll get it wrong. We'll look at the facts differently, et cetera. But I, I hope what we can all agree with is how, how we can be the prophetic voice um, in the in this in this by by and large society whether whether you're a theonomist or whether you just believe that the grace that we've been given from the lord jesus christ can elevate um, even our society both political parties because god is not a republican nor is he a democrat um and we just try to do the best that we can with complex moral choices um the the as my pastor said very well uh, my only hope is that um after after your vote whether you're voting for donald trump biden or a third party that you can say that um, you represented Jesus well, and I think that's that's my hope. Sam, do you do you have any closing thoughts? Uh, yeah, yeah, just just one quick statement. Um, I, I, and I think this this kind of sums up my my position and maybe one of the big differences. Um, I, I believe obedience is simple, and I believe that disobedience is very complicated. Uh, in in going and looking at that, you know, I think Scripture's uh, clear. It, it, it gives. Um, mandates and that that doesn't necessarily mean that a political party is perfect. Uh, um, I'm I'm pretty sure that uh, people in the Republican Party are tired of me critiquing the Republican Party, um, but I would say that I, I think that the uh, the platform um, does aim for uh, biblical values uh, there specifically uh, within uh, within the context of of life and family, which I think are are the two founding you know building blocks. Without those two things, we're not going to have a society. And so I think that's uh, that's where I think that's uh, the, the importance comes down to. Yeah, and and you know, and and then, and then for me as the Trump supporter, I say just everybody go out and vote for Trump. That's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> so, but but yeah, I, I really appreciate you both coming on, and I appreciate uh, the tone of the conversation because it's something that's sorely lacking 
in uh, in political discussion and even evangelical discussion. But I th- but I think that it's really important that we f- that we figure out how to engage with people that we disagree with more. Um, and and, be, and again, I was joke I was joking earlier when I was talking about I blame the Twitter algorithms, but I really do be- because because what they do is is they separate us all from each other into where we only get into these echo chambers. And, you know, like if I if I look at my feed, if I look at my Twitter feed, my news feed, all I see are people that I that I agree with. And I'm and I get really frustrated because I'm like, I want to see somebody, just anybody who disagrees with me. And then and then I see your tweet and I'm like, okay, there's somebody maybe I can talk to this guy. And so so I, I really appreciate you guys both coming on because, again, it's these kinds of things where we can at least understand the other person. We can still totally disagree. I can still think, Robert, that you need to repent for voting for Joe Biden. But at the same time, we can still have the conversation and figure out where we are and maybe push each other a little bit and to kind of reevaluate and see, see, see if we either confirm what we already believe or need to reevaluate. And I think that that's the important thing to do. So, but yeah, I really appreciate you both coming on. Uh, we may, maybe we'll do a follow up, and after the election, we'll see. That'd be great. See, uh, see what what our response is, and then and then for everybody else as well. Uh, thanks so much for tuning in. I know this this was a long episode, but it was fascinating, a lot of fun. Uh, make sure you guys go to gatekeepersonline.com for more information on all the rest of our shows that that we're carrying. Um, and then uh, yeah, we'll we'll catch you guys next time. Bank of Clark County is making it easy to give to local charities. We're featuring a different one at each of our Bank of Clark County locations. To find out how you can support their good work, visit our website at www.bankofclark.bank or follow us on our social media channels and the hashtag GiveWithBOCC. Happy Holidays from all of us at Bank of Clark County. Member FDIC. The holidays are a moment of togetherness and joy and a reminder of how tradition creates happy and fulfilled communities. Make this holiday season patriotic with a visit to National Harbor and its stunning new Spirit Park. Marvel at one of the largest American flags in the region and beautiful displays of American art. Make this holiday season the most meaningful of all at National Harbor. Learn more at nationalharbor.com spiritpark